0: I did an opening keynote in Miami 24 hours before the conference started. I completely lost my voice. So I did uh, 24 hours networking with an iPad and just writing. And people thought I was doing a bit and I was like, I had no voice. So I rewrote my whole opening keynote and I said, look, I'll do it pen and Teller style. And so I just had slides that would guide Christine through. I'd set up a few gags where I said, let's check the live Twitter feed. And Todd made a mate of mine, I'd teed him up to do a tweet. And he said, gee, Sean Cullinan's killing it. He should speak less in these conferences. <laughs> and at the end, Tinnis fan, Cam Tennis was taking a 360 degree shot of the whole thing. And he starts taking take the photo, and I just get the mic and say, come on, everybody, this is going to be on the internet, smile. And so half the faces are people just with their jaws on the floor like, hang on, have you punked us the whole time? Have <laughs> spoke?
1: G'day, guys. Coming up on the show today is Sean Callinan. Sean is the founder of Sports Geek, a tech and digital agency that works with the likes of the NFL amongst many other teams and leagues in Australia and in the US to help commercialise their digital assets. Sean is also the host of the Sports Geek podcast, which is one of the leading sports business podcasts that's been running for over 10 years now with more than 350 episodes, including, and wait for this, Mark Cuban, billionaire owner of the NBA team, the Dallas Mavericks. Sean was once an IT professional and turned to the sports industry 13 years ago and has made a massive impact on the maturity of the industry regarding all things digital. Let's go.
2: I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final?
0: You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision.
2: Having a network is one of the most important things you can do.
0: I didn't necessarily follow
1: my passion, I followed
0: my curiosity.
2: Once you've worked in sports, there's no going
0: back.
1: And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports grade podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the homebody Ruben Williams. And we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia back in the day. And each week we learn how people made it in sports. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills, and everything that they do that makes them great. Also that you can learn how to get in, get promoted, and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, my good friend, we've swapped positions. Good day, Ryan. I'm doing very well, thank you. It's been a very long six months. My uh, six-month
2: travel and work adventure has come to an end. I've, uh, I've been crawling through Asia and Europe and, uh, and the uh, north part of Africa to finally make it back to Australia because I've just been longing to get into the same podcast room as you. And as soon as I arrive home, <laughs> you decide it's time to go to Perth. <laughs> so I've seen you for about all of two days this year. And uh, yes. now I'm back in the room all by myself. I'm speaking <laughs> to you through a screen once
1: again. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, it was a bizarre turn of events. Um, it was quite weird. You got back, we're in meet-up mode. We, saw, we we pretty much saw each other three days straight for 24 hours, which was quite nice. And then uh, Perth called. Uh, so in I, it didn't really dawn on me that this was going to happen, but... We've we've essentially just added another few weeks of being apart, uh, and it is quite weird being being on the podcast on the road. So I hope you're enjoying the the uh, the studio because it is quite nice. It's a little little more comfier than uh, my old. Well, this is, this wasn't my bedroom, but it's one of the rooms. Uh, but yeah, it's good being in Perth. Uh, but flat, I'm not there with you because uh, I was looking forward to doing a pod in person. But that might have to wait until uh, 2024, which is a scary thing to say.
2: That's right. We uh, we've learned to live with it, so we'll uh, we'll make do once again. I guess I'll and I'll see you at Christmas time or something by the time we get back. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you are in Perth for a very important reason. That's because the Perth meetup is on tonight, and we uh, we just enjoyed three amazing meetups last week in in Brisbane and in Sydney and in Melbourne, where we had 140 odd people. Sydney set a record again in terms of Mm. attendance and Brisbane. We had um, an amazing guest in Tom Hickey from the Brisbane 2032 uh, Olympic Committee. So it was wonderful. We haven't done a meetup in a while. I haven't been in the country for a while. So even personally, just to get around and meet all these people who are in our community uh, was absolutely fantastic. I think the thing that kind of took my breath away was in Melbourne when we asked, put your hand up if you remember and about half the room put their hand up and I was like, oh my goodness. It's because yeah. you know, we chat to all these people on, online on discord but to actually see
1: them in, in the one spot in person um you know it hits different Ryan. Mate 100% percent i been thinking about this over the last couple of days just sort of um coming down from such the high that is uh sort of meet up week um and you're right it's just it's so unusual seeing everyone in person and I know, like I know you just said there like it is unusual. But for us, we're we're constantly speaking to people digitally, whether that's LinkedIn or in our community on Discord or just a video call or something like that. So when you see people, I don't know about you, but I saw some people that I've never met in person, but I spoke to them and I'm like, I feel like like I've met you before, but I haven't. And it was like we're just mates, like it it was so weird. Um, But you're right, it's like, it is the best thing about what we do, being able to see the people that we speak to online. Um, and you're right, seeing so many fresh faces but also just seeing all the members um, from the last year and obviously we've got a lot more members now than we did this time last year. So just being able to see people face to face and actually connect with them um, was absolutely awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still still on that high from from seeing everyone and we're recording this um, just before our Perth meetup, and Tonight, we've got just about 50 RSVP'd, which is just incredible for for Perth, where we've only been once before. So um, yeah, it's just a super exciting time at the moment. And that
2: number's about to get even bigger, Ryan, because for those who aren't aware, the way that we bring in new members has has changed in, in recent months. No longer can you become a member at any point in time. You have to wait for a specific intake period. Now, those who came to our meetups, got the chance to become a member at those events. But tomorrow, our next intake period opens. Tomorrow being Tuesday the 28th of November, we're going to open up the remainder of the 70 placements available for the sports graduate community. I believe 12 of them roughly got snapped up at the, at the meetup. So those people who are hungry for a, a membership got in early, got to the event and put their name down very quickly. So. We're accepting 70 members of this intake. So the remaining 58 spots will go live tomorrow. And if you want one of them, then you've got to jump on it straight away. Otherwise you've got to wait until late February next year, which is which is months away. So if you don't want to wait for the new year, if you want to get a head start on 2024 and get ahead in your career, tomorrow is the opportunity to to jump on it at the crack of dawn and um or well, the crack of dawn being 9 a.m. And then um we are running a very special community speed networking night that evening so you'll be able to meet all the
1: brand new members uh straight away yeah super exciting and um you know we describe being a sports Rep members as your ticket to getting a job in sport so join tomorrow there's only limited spots so get in early um and it's super exciting to welcome so many new people um but speaking of the community rooms we we do these updates every week but i think there's been some great wins lately which just showcases some of the people inside so what has been happening for those who might be on the fence thinking about whether they wanna join or not.
2: Yeah, well, funny you mentioned people who you've known for a long time online and on Discord but never met in face. This is one of those people that I've known since 2020. Joseph Strickland, I reckon, was like literally in the first 10 people to ever become a member. Yeah, But he was always living down in Tasmania, working for Tennis Australia based out of Tas. And uh, he's recently got a job at Melbourne Victory as a match operations coordinator. So he's moved up to the Big Smoke. He's finally in Melbourne. He's got along to a meet-up. And uh, when he said to me on Friday night last week, G'day, Reuben, I'm Joseph Strickland. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're the yeah. guy. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. <laughs> so that was that was a bit of a thrill to finally uh, meet Joe. So went well on to you, John, getting the new job and, and relocating to Melbourne. Fu Chang has just got a role with the Socceroos as an activations volunteer. And uh, Hitton Silwani also joined the customer experience team with Tennis Australia, which is amazing to see a big summer at the Australian Open coming up for for Hitton and a lot of other members who have joined the Oz Open too. In terms of upcoming events, I mentioned tomorrow, speed networking for all the new members, uh, but a bunch of other events coming up as well. For our pro members, we have got a masterclass all about negotiation with none other than Pete Williams. Pete sold the MCG for a million bucks in 2004, I believe it was, when he was only just 21 years old. And what I mean by that is, when they were doing the renovations on the MCG, particularly the MCC dining room, they threw out the carpet and Pete said, no, 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 I'll have that, give that to me. He cuts it into a whole bunch of squares, puts it on a plaque, sells each plaque for 500 bucks a pop, back to the members who want to keep it in their dining room and um, that was his first entrepreneurial venture. These days he's done five other businesses and negotiated many a deal, so he's going to come and teach our pro members how to, uh, how, just exactly how he does it. So a good one for the pro members to get along to. And then if you're looking for another meetup to get along to, well, the dates are out. If you wanna come back, you can join us in Feb. So mark this down. Melbourne, Feb 9th, we're back at the Commons, Adelaide, feb 13 perth also feb 13. we're running concurrent meetups on uh that date the double header the double header (laughs) brisbane feb 14 and then sydney feb 15. so we're going back to back to back again with uh the inclusion of perth and adelaide on the same day but If you want to make sure you don't miss out on a single thing that's going on in sports grad land, make sure you are on our mailing list, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. You can also grab a link in our show notes to join.
1: Amazing. There is just so much happening. Uh, I was about to chuck something on the end of that, but I'm not even going to because there's that much happening there. So uh, lost me involved in, um, but let's get cracking into this episode. Enjoy this chat with Sean Callinan. Before we jump into the episode, we've got a quick message from our good friends at Deakin University. Deacon has been a huge supporter of sports grad since day one. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for that same role. So, if you want to pump up your resume and get specialised knowledge in sports behaviour, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance, and strategy, take a look at Deacon's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume, and that's our tip for the episode. Sean, welcome to the Sports Grad podcast.
0: Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate being here.
2: Sean, sure. did I um, ever tell you how I first came across Sports Geek and all the work you're doing?
0: Um, no, you didn't, but I love hearing the story, so I'll let you open it up.
2: So it was, it was through an old boss of mine called um, Scott Kilmartin. Now, he was running um, an ice cream company at the time and I was one of his casual scoopers yep. and we would drive around from weddings to events and he said, hey, you got to listen to this guy on Sports Geek yep. and uh, I believe you guys were doing a different podcast together at the time. Was it Beers, Blokes and Business or something we, like
0: that? We were. Um, my, my office used to be above uh, Scott's shop at Hall up in Fitzroy North. That was one of our first offices um, and, yeah, we did a uh, podcast uh, with a few mates talking about just the trials and tribulations of business while we're having a few beers. And, um, yeah, we did about – I think we nearly did 100 episodes. Wow, eh? um, Of just sharing our drunken insights on the world of business. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's fun.
2: Was that – were you doing Sports Geek podcast before this other podcast? Or was that your yeah. first step into it?
0: Uh, yeah. I Yeah, so I was doing Sports Geek podcast now – started about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, um, and because I was enjoying podcasting as a format and – People like myself and Scott and, and uh, James and and Sam, Steve Sammartino were catching up uh, and just talking about different things in our businesses. And I was just, well, these should be podcasts. Every conversation <laughs> should be a podcast. This is valuable to somebody. Um, and so, yeah, so we started, doing, we started doing that podcast, but it became uh, just the wrangling. It's hard enough wrangling one guest. You know this in, mm. in getting guests sorted. But when you've got six or seven blokes and you're trying to figure out who's going to be on this week and who's going to prep... Um, it became a bit, uh, bit like herding cats, um, but it was always fun.
2: Yeah, well, I've, I heard a stat that I think, you know, ninety nine percent of podcasts don't make it past ten episodes. So to do hundred of one, and let alone three hundred of yeah. another one, is, is a massive effort. Um, we'll get into more of Sports Geek in just a sec, but we always open our show with a few quick fire questions to help people get to know you a bit better. First one is, uh, what did you study at university?
0: So at university, I uh, studied Bachelor of Info Tech. So it was uh, at Swinburne. So it was um, computer science, but mixed more with uh, the business side of it. So I always found myself sort of drawn to the computers, but also um, talking to the people that wanted the computing solution. So we sort of focused on a bit of both. It wasn't pure uh, computer computer science. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of where I got my start.
2: And your first ever ever job before you've you know stepped into your first full time job. What were you doing before that?
0: Um, So we were lucky enough with uh, the Bachelor of Infotech. It was a uh, sponsored course, so we actually got some uh, money for for rent and beer, which is all you need uh, at uni. Um, And it also came with two uh, six-month placements on site. And so I always look at my first job as that first six-month placement because effectively they were paying us in uni and then we did the six months. And I was lucky enough to be at um, Museums Victoria and working at ScienceWorks um, three months before it opened, wow. so um, it was pretty cool in in setting up um, uh, some of the multimedia displays. And this was early um, early technology on touchscreens. So there were like little films registering the dots of where you were pressing and those kind of things. It wasn't anything like we've got now with iPads and mm. and everything. And so it was one testing the content that we were putting on those screens and then then watching from afar. The kids just smashing the hell out of these computers <laughs> and seeing what would survive. So, um, yeah, that was a. I really enjoyed that because it was like three months before the museum opened. You're setting up a lot of things. You're, um, you know, setting up computers, making sure that they're working, but then also testing the the programs that were written. And it was still it was pretty rudimentary when we're looking at you know some of the. Multimedia and, and activations that we see in galleries and museums and sports stadiums these days, um, but it was really bleeding edge at that time. It was really it was a lot of fun.
2: And science work is a staple of any primary school excursion these days. So it'd be pretty cool to have a founding role in how it got set up.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So then there was some um, sports activations added there. The uh, you know running running against Kathy Freeman and the, and the screen would line up and see how fast she could go over you know twenty meters. Those kind of things. So again, same sort of. Being watching watching primary school groups trying to run and then smashing themselves into the padded wall at the end, um, but yeah, it was sort of that initial that first piece of like interactive museums, sort of taking museums to the to the next level and not just wandering around looking at you know um, dinosaurs and and stuffed animals and and a little bit boring. Trying to make it a bit more interactive, so it was sort of I guess a precursor to a lot of the stuff we're doing in the sports digital space of hey what. You know, how do we make it more interactive and fun?
2: Mm. And your favourite sporting moment of all time? Um, Well,
0: it's pretty tough because uh, Collingwood fan. I'm just coming off a 2023 (laughs) uh, grand final that was what was pretty special. But um, I think 2010 was also pretty special. But I'm also lucky enough to um, having a few teams that have done well. And um, I was a big fan of the Melbourne Tigers um, way back in the day, in the early 90s. And it was funny. I was. Part of a part of a cheer squad, effectively in my in my 20s in the union, we were the Tigers hoodlums. So if you ever went to a Tigers Magic or a Tigers Giants game and the wave got started and there was some yahoos in the audience, um, <laughs> that was me and my mates um, sort of doing fan engagement before fan engagement existed. So mm. it was pretty cool, um, tagging along um, with Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland. Um, and and everyone in that team, both on the court and then following Copes into the nightclubs um, in different parts of <laughs> around Australia, um, so it was always always fun. So fond memories of that of that '93 championship. We weren't we weren't fortunate enough to be in Perth when they when they um, when they won, um, but we were definitely around all the celebrations. Were
2: you guys on par with some of the the European ultra fans, or a bit more tame? Oh no, we
0: we did our best. Um, <laughs> we we once. Uh, um, yeah, we, we did some things. We had uh, Isaac Burton, who was a Sydney Kings player at the time and um, had been accused of uh, point shaving in, uh, in NCAA. <laughs> so we thought we would go with that. And it was back in the day when you would pay your rent to a real estate agent in cash. And so one of, <laughs> one of the guys actually had his rent money in his pocket, like $1,000. And so we were waving like $1,000 at him for the free throw line asking if he would you know, miss a shot for us. Um, so we had a few of those. Well, we had a few times where Lindsay told us off for uh, uh, giving it to a player and then the, f- the players just started loading <laughs> us up. But we probably had more wins than we had losses, so it was always fun.
2: Awesome. And uh, do you have a favourite interview question that you like to ask of candidates coming to work for Sports Geek?
0: Um, and, oh, from an interview question for for, for candidates. Oh, I thought it was an interview question from a podcast point of view. Well, I, we can go with that if you want. I will. always open with how do people get into sports because yep. it's a bit like you and you're probably doing the same when you're doing um, conversations. Like if I'm talking to a you know, a commissioner of an NCAA conference or someone who's now a CMO or someone's just driving, you mm. know, running the socials, it's like, oh, well, how did you get in? Mm. Um, and so that I always find that interesting when you – when you're talking to someone that is, you know, now a CTO or um, driving all the data and analytics for an NHL team, and like, no, no, I, I was setting up, uh, you know, tents and I wore the costume for the mascot at halftime, <laughs> um, those kind of things. So those, those starts and forays in, whether it's through volunteering or that. So I'm always interested in that to f- sort of find the, the steps that people go, whether they're in a single org and sort of working their way up mm. or working across departments or the other way of sort of bouncing from team to team or sport to sport and and sort of taking learnings from that. So I always, yeah, I normally open up most of my conversation from a podcast point of view um, in that way. If I'm interviewing someone or, or if someone's asking me to help interview someone and normally I'm consulted on things on digital, it's normally asking people what they do on their own channels to understand and test and know how to do things. Mm. It's always a bit of a red flag for me when someone says, oh, I want to you know, run digital or I want to be on the tools for a, for a you know, big account or a team, but they're not trying things on their own account or a couple of burner accounts to say, oh, this is how you do it. Mm. There's nothing worse than saying it's all theory, it's all theory, and then here you go, you're managing an NFL account or you're running an AFL club account, and it's like, well, when are you testing it then? So mm. it doesn't mean you have to be a... Um, A creator and have your own audience like Mm. I saw ABC currently is trying to recruit some creators to become sort of digital journalists and they're asking them to to have following and effectively they're really asking for influencers to come in but really you don't need to have a large following to be able to test what are the best you know content types for TikTok or you know you're watching someone and how do they do that Mm. and doing that yourself because if you're doing it for the first time on a you know, brand or a team account, it, you know, the the stakes are a little bit higher, yep. um, and you don't, you know, you're not quite getting it. So mm. it's always a bit of a red flag. Oh, I don't really use, you know, oh, I don't really <laughs> use Facebook that much. That's just for mum and dad. It's like, well, that's where 80 percent of your audience is. So you've got to at least still be there mm. to understand what what's working. So that's probably the question that I sort of dig in a little bit to say, you know, are you using it? You know, what are you observing? can you uh, understand what teams are doing and what they're doing behind it? Mm, probably...
2: that, that was a massive thing for us in recruiting a, a recent intern called V and she's um, doing some stuff on TikTok and you look at her own personal TikTok and she's posting every single day. And um, I think it, you're right, it's important that people have an outlet before they jump into um, some of the bit more stakes. Um, do you have a favourite book or podcast that's helped you with any part of what you do?
0: Um the book I m- most recommend is uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. I find, and I'm, a, I'm an audible book reader, uh, reader, listener. Um, I think I've listened to that, yeah, probably once a year since I was, you know, a couple of times now. Um, just the journey of, you know, where Nike came from um, and, you know, the struggles that he had early on when you see the behemoth that it is now. Um, it's It's quite inspiring as a... Someone who runs their own business, but um, also, you know, I, I find that, yeah, I find that type of story fascinating. It's a really good, good, good read. And you know, if you're listening now and you're wearing Nikes, I highly recommend <laughs> you know giving it a read. Um, yeah, so that's that's one that I recommend uh, a lot. The other one um, that I do recommend a lot is uh, Tim Ferriss interviewing Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, again, uh, um, and you can read uh, Arnold's book as well. Like it's, fascin- it's fascinating. Mm. The fact that he was a millionaire even before he, um, you know, became a movie star, you know, effectively selling health, you know, DVDs and fitness programs and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that was a, I guess, a three-hour pod and I was just on a walk and I just kept walking. Like I think I did three laps the MCG <laughs> and, and a lap of the tan while I was listening to because I just went, oh, I want to keep listening to this. So they're a couple of my um, yeah, go-tos if people say what to listen to.
2: Mm, I'm a big Tim Ferriss listener, so I'll have to find the one for sure. And uh, finally, if you had 30 minutes to pick the brain of anybody, who would it be and why?
0: Um, well, initially it would have been Mark Cuban, who's the owner of the, of the Mavs. Um, but I was lucky enough to get him on my podcast mm-hmm. with a bit of persistence. Um, I think probably I really like what Matt Ishbia is doing at the Phoenix Suns in trying to change things. Um, uh, I think Adam Silver, I'd love to have a chat with Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. Um think they would probably and then um, I'm a Detroit Pistons bad boys fan so Isaiah Thomas uh, is still on my list on one as a as a, I'll probably be, be careful on going full fan boy um, but again I would like to sort of have a chat to him about the psychology of being an athlete and then being in that early part of athlete entrepreneur um, player rights because he's a lot part of that of the players' association and then sort of moving into coaching and what it looks like post I think it's I think the post, like the second chapter for athletes, is a really interesting story, and you know we we can see some of the successes and there's a lot of lot of fails. So it's sort of like what are the pitfalls and how do you avoid it? And mm. How do you set yourself up?
2: Yep, fantastic. I um I do want to touch on how you got Mark Cuban on the podcast because that was very early on in the piece. But um yep. before we dive into that, um, tell us a bit about your background because you did this um you know degree in IT and computer science. How did you or career transpire in the early days before sports geeks started yeah
0: so um yeah so i did a bachelor of it and that sort of gave me skill set in coding and and but also understanding the the uh, all the bolts and you know the lego blocks that is computer science but then also be able to talk to people to say hey what what problem do you want solved and be able to talk to the geeks so that's always been my skill in sort of translating you know the normals uh, to, to the geeks, you know, the, the hardcore in the little room with no light and they code away. <laughs> um, and a lot of them are you know, super talented, but they don't have the EQ and the, and the ability to, to, to understand the requirements and talk to business. So I sort of found myself in that space. My first job was uh, training people in a product called Power Builder. Um, I was 21. I uh, hadn't coded it at all, but I was given all the material and I was training people who had been been programming in other languages and sort of like that's the thing in in computers there's always these waves of tech that come through and you sort of just jump on that wave and run it as hard, hard as you can um, I got some really good advice from my boss then because I was a 21 year old and you know three weeks out of uni I was training people in this product um, and he just said look there was a bit of imposter syndrome like how am I teaching you know there's <laughs> someone that's been doing coding for 10 years in other languages he goes look they don't know the The language you're teaching your four pages in front of them Mm -hmm. Um, as long as you keep doing that and he said don't tell anyone you're 21 because you don't look 21 (laughs) Um, and so I ended up doing about 40 five-day courses in the first year and so I became perfectly an expert in that product because I'd known the manual and all the content um, back to um, front to back and so it gave me a lot of confidence in speaking and presenting I think it's probably in my genes my dad and a lot of my family are school teachers so it wasn't a problem standing up there um, and so then I was a coder developer in PowerBuilder for a fair while in multiple industries, um, and then did the same sort of jump from one tech to another tech. Then it was .NET. Um, then it was you know Apple was coming along. Um, but I was sort of getting to the you know, and I was ended up by you know managing teams. I was running the um, at the app team at AGL, the big energy company. Um, I did some projects for Jupiter's in, in the casinos and building out systems that told them how much money they were making um but so I was you know doing a lot of building of things but was really just sort of looking to the side and saying how can I do some stuff in sport I wanted to do some stuff in sport you know having the um some stuff that I did with the Melbourne Tigers in being a fan and being part of game entertainment committees and sort of understanding those kind of things um and I was just a frustrated sports fan um websites that didn't really talk to us emails that were sent out to everybody and weren't really talking to, to me as a fan. Um, and so initially when I sort of finished up my last job, I said, I want to give this th- thing a crack. I sort of didn't even have a name for it. Um, and I thought I would be doing my IT thing in sport, so helping them understand their database, helping them build better websites, doing more of the tech stuff. Um, and in Australia, at least, there, there was not a lot of capacity in that space. A lot of it was you know done by... By headquarters, You know, all the AFL websites are done by the AFL or done by a provider for the AFL. So there wasn't much leeway. Um, and the same in the NRL and a bunch of the different sports. Um, and then social media was sort of on the rise. Facebook was gaining traction. Instagram was doing the same and so was early Twitter. Um, and there was a little bit of how do we use this? Um, and the pro teams in the States sort of as they are sort of sort of leading the way and sort of have a bit more runway to test and learn on things so they were starting to do stuff and I went this is sort of a space and I just started looking around and going looking at AFL teams and NRL teams and they were starting to use all the platforms and I just started saying well I think you should do it this way um, and, and so it was a mix of me taking the position of a fan um, this is what I want as a Collingwood fan or a Pistons fan or you know a fan of Australian cricket this is what I want to be able to get but then also sort of predicting and seeing what was happening in the tech and what they were doing and trying to predict what they were doing in the tech um so whether hey this is what t- working on Facebook why do we do more of that um and so so when I started um Sports Geek there wasn't any and there wasn't any you know sports digital people and there wasn't any social media coordinators um you know so I joke that Jeremy McPeak, a mate of mine, was at the Phoenix Suns, and his Twitter handle was Suns Webmaster because he was <laughs> the guy that was updating the website. And the same, you know, Jonathan Bernard, um, who's now at the AFL, he was at Collingwood, and he was the guy that was keeping the website up and running and then making sure some, um, you know, posts were happening. So um, early on I was sort of, you know, banging the drum of, this is how I think you should do it, um, these are my thoughts and here's what, you know, here's what the Boston Celtics are doing, here's what the Lakers are doing, here's what Real Madrid's doing. And so I found myself in that space um, of effectively being a chief digital officer on call for a bunch of different teams and sort of filling that gap, both from a skill and knowledge gap, and then training up the teams and then having that conversation say, see, this stuff's working. We actually need people to do that, be dedicated to it. So, you know, um, I remember having a conversation with the Manly Seagulls CEO saying, Jess is doing a great job, but Jess was the receptionist at the time, um, and I was telling her to leave the desk and go and take photos at training because that's what people wanted, mm. and it was working well. And so we had to say, well, no, no, we don't want Jess to be answering phones because she's talk, you know, she could talk to forty thousand fans over here. Um, and then yeah, twelve months later, she's tweeting and posting from you know a grand final win. Mm. So it was that those early days were really, yeah, were really fun, and that's sort of how that transition happened. And I think a mix of my tech knowledge in understanding, you know, even you know, connecting things and doing simple things like, hey, what if we put the like button on that page and people can click it more and then you get more fans? And I was I still had enough knowledge of web and tech to be able to go, let me in the back end and I'll put that like button on your front, on your home screen and just tell people to go there and your <laughs> lights go up. So there was a bit of, what is this wizardry? Because there wasn't a, a high skill set of tech and being able to, to – to make web changes and those kind of things and so some of it we just sort of pushed our way through and did it, ask for, bit, uh, for forgiveness later but um yeah so that's sort of that that's where some of that early work happened
2: mm. and did, did you phase into running your own business or did you quit and go all in at once how did that transition look
0: um so yeah so I yeah so I quit my last job and and I had some runway and um to be able to give it a go um and yeah, then it was yeah, all me and and it was blogging and going in you know, and blogging when that was a thing. It's no longer a thing. Um, Did
2: you have a client lined up when you when you quit, or just make it work?
0: No, it was a bit of a you know. I finished up my last last job running a running a development team, and and I was just a bit. I didn't you know had no desire to go and look for another job in that space. I could have, and it was one of the things that was. Um, probably prevented me going into sport earlier. Like I'd done some sport side gigs. I'd had done a, um, uh, I'd run some tours to the States with some clubs. Did a TV show with the Western Bulldogs on Channel 31. Um, did a did a data project with the Mountain West um, with a friend of mine. So we sort of dabbled in stuff. But I was in IT and it was paying far too well. And mm. he was a lawyer and it was paying far too well. And we never made the leap. And so... When I finally did, I said, I've got to break free. I could easily just go back and get a contracted job and don't worry about money and stuff. So it was a bit of tighten the belt and and start again um, from scratch. Um, and then it was, yeah, landing, you know, one client. So Collingwood, luckily enough, was one of my first clients. Um, and as a Collingwood person, I just went, hey, guys, you keep saying you've got a million fans, but you've only got 50,000 on Facebook. Mm. Like, what's that about? I said, you should have more. Um And this was August-ish, 2010. I said, look, if you tell me, if you do what I tell you to do, I I guarantee you'll double it by grand final day. Mm. Um, And they said, okay. And we just sort of tested and tweaked what we did. And it was really early rudimentary stuff Of um, because they were pretty much using the post. And a lot of of teams were of just here's the article, just putting up the article and telling Mm. people there's an article. I said, how about you sort of since that time, we've come up with the term digital face paint. Um, We want the fans to be able to show that they're a fan of the team in Mm. the same way that you put face paint when you're on a game. And so it's like that is giving them content that they can share and show that they're a fan. Um, And so one of the things at that time, and it's still relative now, but at that time Facebook wanted their feeds to be less text because if you remember in 2009, 2010, you would write, I'm feeling good. I'm getting a bagel. Like people just write text and, <laughs> yep. it w- and it wasn't didn't have much color. And so they were like, "We want more color." And so it was like, "How hey, about we just you know give them a picture?" And so it was something as simple as, you know, a picture of Alan Dyadak and then changing the copy to say, you know, um, "Do you like Dids' chances kicking a goal this weekend?" And as a Collingwood fan, the mentality of them, they like, "Well, I can't not click like on that because mm. I think Dids will kick a goal <laughs> um, and get around it," and so. We really lent into that, like that's since you know that's since been, ban- you know, banned or shunned by the algorithm. But at that time, that was the thing, and so we're like, you know, you know, we have so- and we're playing so and so today. Click like if you think we're going to win. And it's mm. like, well, I have to, I have to click <laughs> like, otherwise I'm not doing my job. And so that fueled the growth, um, high impact pitches, you know, celebrating the big moments, a lot of the stuff that's still very relevant now, um, and it fueled that growth. You know, yes, they had two grand finals. That did help, but yeah, they got to hundred thousand, uh, you know, at the grand, uh, you know, during that week between the grand final and the second grand final. So it was a bit of a hey, he knows what he's talking about, um, and some of these tactics, you know, can help. And then, you know, so then that sort of led to a few other clients coming on board, asking the same sort of things, and and sort of giving them some direction.
2: So your your first ever offering was, you know, offering a service as a fractional chief digital officer yeah effectively Uh, yeah yeah. how did your um offering develop because that's what 13 years ago or something now
0: that is yeah so i mean that um that was a pretty big part of like phase one of what i was doing um whether it be helping skill up a team and sort of being embedded in the team and being a sounding board you know um i think it was a trailblazer. i was using uh, GoToMeeting go-to meeting way before people were doing zooms but again um I never turned the camera on. Like, we'd, you know, I worked with the guys at the West Coast Eagles for a couple of years and we never turned the camera on. We were just, like, sharing screens and was going through stuff because it wasn't as natural as it is now. Mm. Um, so I would have those regular catch-ups, um, whether it be, hey, we've got this campaign coming up or how do we best do this or what do you think we should do for this content? So it was a lot of content brainstorming and, and developing those pieces. Um, and then over time, as the capacity of digital teams rose, the need for that, didn't and I guess it was probably a bit of a reset around COVID when a lot of things got you know stopped um, so now we're more uh, campaign um, and commercial focused so over the years sort of working with teams and reviewing what they're doing and then trying to build out that commercial case we've built out digital to dollars which helps um, a team or a brand better understand how they can commercialize what they're doing in the digital space and so that's knowing your audience knowing your knowing your content, knowing your distribution, knowing the channels, then knowing the value. So what's the value of this if I put a logo on it? What's the value of this if I'm doing a content series for someone? And then how to pitch it. And so that's trying to get the digital, the data folk that know who everyone is, You know, and that's improving all the time. Um, the the digital folk that are creating the content, getting them together, but then also the commercial folk and understanding that they need to be connected. And so sometimes I joke that I'm not digital divorce counsellor uh, because the digital team will be doing one thing and the commercial team will be doing the other thing and they're not, they're not connected. Either the, you know, the commercial team does a deal and they tell the digital team to do it or the digital team's doing really, really, really cool stuff and they're not telling the commercial team. And so it's like, guys, we've got to, we've, you know, we've got to work together on that to say, mm-hmm. hey, you want to do really cool things in digital, make sure your commercial team knows and, and how you frame it to a partner Means that you know more funds will flow back into digital. So it's a bit of, that's where I play a lot now um, in helping people um, better understand that better understand that piece um, and better justify. Hey, um, we need to do this content series to warm up the fans, so they recognise your logo, recognise you're a supporter of the team or the or the code or the sport. Um, so when you do the campaign that says, oh, we want to capture data or we want to drive people to you know, do things, then it'll that'll work and trying to get those two things aligned mm. because if you just do the, you know, really cold intro of here's a sponsor, here's the campaign and expect all the fans just to run across and go, thank you, mm. it doesn't quite work if you haven't built up that, some equity with the fans. So it's it's sort of getting that piece right.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned digital to dollars. Is that what you call your sort of methodology? Eff- what you call effectively,
0: yeah. effectively. Um, if I was – if I was as good a writer as I'm a podcaster, I would have written the book by now, but yeah. I haven't. Um, it's all right. You
2: got AI; I can transcribe well, they, it for you. It's getting you close. Just, to, just speak the book. <laughs> it's getting
0: close. There, I have spoke the book in a couple of. I've done a podcast series, sort of reviewing them all. But mm. um, yeah, it is. It's effectively if someone says, "Oh, can you come and help us review what are do we doing in our socials?" I can plug that into um, digital to doll and say, "Yes, I can look at your, you know, your socials and look at it from that point of view." But you know, do you really know your audience and mm. what data do you have on your audience and then also what data don't you realise you have? Like what does Meta know about your audience? What does Twitter know about your audience? Whether they share it or not is another thing. But like trying to get what those personas look like um, is really important. Um, and then also just getting the digital team and the creatives who, you know, I love them but sometimes they just do content because they think it's cool or they want to do it or they've seen someone else do it. Um it's like, why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? It's really Mm. important. Um, And then it's also super important from your commercial team. It's like, oh, this content's going to go bananas with this type of fan. Mm. Which partner best fits for that? And so that's the bit that I, you know, I think I open up some of the eyes from the digital folk, but then also help the commercial team to go, there is value here. So, Mm. you know, for a lot of the time, I you know, I was stopping digital folk giving away the stopping the commercial folk giving away the digital for free. Mm. It's like, oh, it's easy to do it. So, well, no, it's not. There's people building that and there's actually, you know, we can track it with data. We know how many people um, and it's, you know, even more effective. It might be more effective than an LED around the stadium or it might be more effective than, you know, an outdoor media campaign. And so Mm. helping them understand, you know, valuing, uh, you know, a digital campaign versus a logo on the shorts is is sort sort of something that's still... Still improving.
2: Is is there one bit of low hanging fruit that you see most clubs or leagues have readily available to action when you talk to them?
0: The, well, most of the time when we're doing a review of sort of content, I say, can we have the commercial team in there as well? And so once the digital team gets uh, sort of reviews all the content, I just say, hey, start. What's happened Monday? You know, if it's a, if you're in a weekly type sport, what happens Monday? What you know, the day you know, the day after the game, or and then what do you do Tuesday? And what do you do Wednesday? And they just start telling you what they're doing in their content plan and then you go through and go, does that perform really, really well? Oh, yeah, it does. Is, have you... And sometimes you'll see the commercial person at the other end of the table looking at their bit of content, looking at the stats and go and smacking their head and saying, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So some of the stuff is, yeah, the, the logo slap, high engagement. Hey, we should have a partner with that. Um, but that's probably the easiest. But then the other piece is um, having the conversations with your partners to actually know what they want um and so you know lucky enough to work with a bunch of digital folk who've been in sport and then they go oh gee sports heart long <laughs> long hours long weekends and you know you know that and so they get they can get burnt out um and they go oh, i think about going to a brand i'm like that's fine but it's really hard work you think it's hard work in sport <laughs> it's it's hard work in a different way in brand because no one likes a you know a bank post or mm. Or a you know a retailer like it's you can't, it's not Buddy Franklin running down the wing or a LeBron James dunk or a Steph Curry three like you don't have yeah. the excitement. That's no important.
2: affiliation to Magellan or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so it's really it's really tough. And so I think there's it's not necessarily low hanging fruit, but I think it's a real opportunity to get the smart digi folk that know what works for your fans and helping them understand and then saying hey you know sponsor X we would like to do this kind of series and we and then also starting to decide where does that live like does it live on your channels or are you producing content for their channels to sh- to 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 sort of show the show the relationship um, and and you know potentially move some audiences in some cases so it's those kind of things where i think if you can get the ideas people and whether they're in the digital people into that conversation earlier and or have and this is the part where or get in the way like, or get some of those deliverables that are in the contract have a little bit more flexibility um, you can come up with some really good outcome
2: you mentioned several stages of that digital to dollars process is there any particular stage that you think um, sports don't pay enough attention to
0: I think the the, the crunch at the moment is is reporting that um, reporting that value and reporting hey this is successful I think For me, 95% of it is understanding their goals and just focusing on that. Um, But we're moving into... So I think that works 90% of the time. But More and more sponsors are now in media-buying, eyeballs, impressions game, and they can get in front of your fans without you quite easily by just buying the media and and I want to get in front of these folk. Um, And so you need to be, one... You're never gonna you're never gonna win the dollars race if you, against that, against programmatic and those kind of things. So you need to say, well, you can do that. You can, you know, you can target Geelong fans or you can target Golden State fans. Um, but it's not gonna be the same as if it's with our IP and with our and so getting some uh, getting some science but then being able to report it. Like you wanna make the person you know the the sponsorship rep, whoever you're working with, their job easier to say, oh, this was a big win, and they they want it to be a big win. They've signed the deal, mm. they want it to succeed, and so part of it is, you know, what what do the what do they want in their reports? What is their main focus? You know, if they're a car dealership, well, they want to sell cars. How we helped you sell cars? Because you can tell them, oh, look, 1.5 million people saw it. <laughs> it's like, well, but if 800,000 were in India, you're not going to sell cars that way. So mm. it's like. Again, trying to – and that's the piece where sometimes the, the that's where that disconnect happens. Like the, the commercial person might know really intimately what is required or what is the key outcomes. Mm. But if the brief that gets to digital gets filtered down or doesn't have that as something key, then it's like, well, hang on, that's – you know, they, they miss the mark. It's just because of the lack of communication. So um, – getting that brief, you know, from the sponsor and from commercial, but then making sure digital is at least aware of what exactly they want. And so a lot of the times we have this, you know, simplified one-page pitch. Who's it for? Who's their target audience? Why do they want it? What's their best? What's the outcome? And so then at least there's this common language that digital and the commercial team are working towards Mm. so you can understand it. And I think that's the opportunity that, savvy digital folk having that commercial focus um either you know watching what other teams are doing or watching what other leagues are doing or seeing how they're activating like that's really valuable um uh, for for, you know for any sports
2: and you're absolutely right because um the uh the account manager on the brand side they've got to report up into their general manager or or, you know if it's a general manager saying this is a great sponsorship they're going to the ceo so if you can make them look like a hero then you're going to come back again and again yeah exactly how long did it take for you to get to a point where you could clearly see like this start to end process for, for the digital to dollars methodology and think, okay, I can really put it into, you know, step one, two, three, four.
0: Yeah, it probably just, it did just evolve from my regular meetings with my regular sort of retainer clients. And, you know, we would have a session on data and then we would have a session, a lot of the sessions on what should the content be. Um, oh, we're going to tackle this platform. How are we going to tackle Instagram? How are we going to tackle, you know, what's our Snapchat strategy at the, you know for a short moment? Um, how should we tackle TikTok? Those kind of things. And so giving it some of those guardrails um, helped. Um, and then the other piece was that value piece. How do I value it? And early on, there wasn't many um, tools. There's more tools available now that can sort of give you some relevant um Comparison metric that says, "Oh, this is impressions." So here is the media value and those kind of things. So it starts to, it's talking in the language the commercial folk are doing, um, but it was also trying to just get that st- that story um, and help the digital folk and the commercial folk tell that story on why that succeeded, um, and then also reframing that pitch a little bit. So I think over the past you know ten or twelve years, the commercial pitch of "Here is what you can get" and it's this you know, standard deck of, that goes out to everyone. It's like, well, now it, it, there's a bit more customization, But having them better understand what is a digital campaign and what is it actually worth is really important. Like I talked about the short sponsor. I had one client that, you know, sold a short sponsor for you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and then there was a digital campaign component sort of attached that was sort of put on there as a oh, 50K And then when I went through and said, hey, we ran this campaign and we secured X many sign-ups for this energy company, did you ask them what that's worth? And so you've got to be very careful because the savvy, you know, if I'm on the sponsor side, I would just ask for the digital, Mm. right? Because it's just, you know, I'm a leads-based business. I just want leads and, you know, I know I'm getting 500 bucks every time someone signs up. If you give me a 1,000, tick, I'm, I'm on my way. And so there's that piece of, uh, how does a commercial folks sell that appropriately, but then also value that appropriately? So you don't want to lose the you don't want to lose the short spot sponsorship money, but you want to appropriately you know value the value the digital. Um, so it's yeah. So that piece has always been a bit that's interesting to me. Um, and you know, getting more internal um, champions in 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 an org that understand that digital and that, that valuation piece to help the digital literacy you know in the commercial team you know, at board level that don't quite know, hey, why, why have we got all these people running around capturing all this content? It's like getting that, that more of that literacy across the organisation helps.
2: Amazing. It's fascinating to hear about how your curriculum of such has kind of come together and how it's kind of helped you in, in the different things you do. The other one I want to talk about is uh, your podcast because that's been around for, for 10 years and um, has, uh, it was probably the first sports business podcast that I heard of. Um, you've done, what, over 350 episodes Tell us about how that got started and um, how that's evolved over the last decade.
0: Yeah, so um, as I said, early on, blogging was a thing and it was a real struggle for me. You know, all the people are now writing with AI. It's hard without AI. (laughs) Um, And I was doing a couple of regular radio spots. I was doing SEN with Daniel Harford and and sort of just talking about sports and sports business. And then I was also doing um, early mornings at ABC Grandstand with Francis Leach. Um, and so I started teeing up people that I'd met. So luckily, you know, early Sports Geek, I was able to get some good speaking gigs and connect with some conferences. So I was meeting people when I was in the States and the things like that. And so I started setting up interviews and I would do a 10 or 15-minute interview with someone in the States about you know, ticketing or digital and those kind of things. Um, and I was really enjoying them. And and I was effectively just putting up those radio clips individually. And they were just meh no one was you know following up with them um and i went to i think i went to a podcast movement um in the states and from there i just said look i'll, I'll make it more you know i'll produce like a podcast so what i ended up doing was stitching i'll do an intro and then i'll do there's the there's a segment with half and then there was a here's my short interview on grandstand and so i started stitching them together um doing it myself doing it in garage band uh, probably you know I tell people to go back and listen to my first couple of episodes because they're (laughs) terrible and your first ones are yeah ours Um, are the same (laughs) and so i think i you know i I did the editing for the first hundred um and i I can't remember how long it was doing i because i kept sort of coming back to the same sort of guests like i'm in a digital space so i was just inviting mates from nba teams and that on to francis's show at early saturday morning and Francis says, "Oh, look, these are good, but like we can't just keep doing the same thing all the time." And I said, "Well, that's what I want to do." <laughs> um, and so I stopped doing the radio bits and just started doing the interviews over Skype with people I, with people I knew. Um, and again, it was partly, um, you know, learning about what they're doing in different parts, um, and effectively, you know, being a marketing channel for, for Sports Geek um, because you know I'd have people. Either call me up and say hey ready to go I'm like that's great who's this um and they're like you know they've been listening to the podcast for 30 episodes and they've already gone and convinced their boss to can we get Sean in to to help us with digital I'm like oh that's awesome um so it sort of worked well in getting my name out there um people like you know people after you've done the wrangling to book it in people don't mind having a chat about themselves and getting a pat on the back um and so yeah so it sort of worked out quite well from there and you know do 30 to 40 episodes a year and continue on and it's yeah and it and again I guess the bit that's been both humbling and pretty cool is to have you know people reach out and say hey I listen to the podcast you know so I remember Richard Clark who ran digital for Arsenal like sending me an email and give me some notes on hey I think you should do this to clean up the audio and do that and I'm like wow that's pretty cool it, He's from Arsenal and he's listening, um, you know, and he's been a podcast. He's a mate of mine now. And um, so that kind of thing has been, yeah. Been
2: I've, um, I've just done a, a trip over to Europe and on that trip, I stayed with um, the guest on our podcast, who was episode number 16. His name's Garth Town, works at the Olympics. Have there been any relationships you've developed through the podcast over the journey that have helped you out in weird and wonderful ways?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's it's sort of a mix of both the podcast and and speaking. So I think um, I was lucky enough to speak at a conference in 2010 um, where I was sort of helping promote the conference, and, and Simon, who was running the conference, didn't know what social media was. I said, "Look, I'll, like I'll tweet out about it and do some things," and and then I said, oh, "How about you know how about I also you know speak about social media trends and things like that?" And so I was the only Australian speaker on the bill. Mm. Um, it was my first speaking gig as sports geek. Um, it was really good because Ted Johnson from the Minnesota Timberwolves was there, Dan Harbison from uh, Portland Trailblazers, Paul Barber from um, Vancouver Whitecaps, and so it was. Um, so we did a Sydney one and then one in Auckland. So I made really close connections with all of those, um, all of those people. Um, Kirsten Corio, who was at the NBA at the time, and one of the other people was Christine Stoffel, who was uh, founder of Seat Conference. So I, you know, I got off stage. Said, that was terrific, Sean. You should come speak at my conference in LA. I said, yeah, yeah, good. what, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, I will. Um, and sort of out of that, both that conference and out of that uh, relationships, we end up doing a digital loyalty program for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so the next draft, I'm at the, I'm in Minnesota, and we did, we built this program with um, some guys in Melbourne that was effectively. It was too early, like, but it was if you tweet more, you get more points. Mm. If you like us, you get more points. So it was all that social gamification stuff.
2: Is this peak Dirk Nowitzki period?
0: Yeah, Dirk was Dirk was doing all right Mm. then. So twenty yeah twenty eleven, and yeah, so so I pitched that to Ted. I said, hey Ted, you know I would love to do this with you guys. Yeah, let's try it, and we did it um, at the draft. and so since I was in Minnesota, I, I like cheekily said to Christina, Christina, I'm going to be in Minnesota and I'm going to be in LA coming back. And she said, oh, great, you know, come and come to seat in, in LA and, and speak on a panel. We'd love to have you there. And so I was really fortunate to seat at that time was a conference around um, all, the, all the geeks, all the chief technical officers, all the CTOs, mm. and they were talking about how do we get Wi-Fi into stadiums <laughs> and all of those kind of things, which are really geeky. And because I would come from a geek background, I can still talk geek, um, but I was there talking about uh, the digital marketing side and and Shane Harmon, um, who was a marketing manager for the Rugby World Cup at that stage, he's just finishing up at Sky Stadium as the CEO, um, he was on the same panel and we we're talking about, hey guys, if you guys get Wi-Fi, guess what happens? Everyone can now connect and everyone will be sharing that they're in the stadium, so you guys have to sort out the Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, and so that formed a really good relationship with Christine where I kept coming back every year to seat and I said, we really need the digital folk. And we need the data folk there because they're the ones that use all the tech that gets rolled out. And so it was a really good connection for me but also um, networking-wise and open up a lot of doors um, and, you know, up, you know a big, big part of my podcast roster of people I've met, uh, met at Seat. Um, and so, yeah, it's really great that... Post-COVID, Josh, Josh Barney was able to reboot it and was in Utah last um, this year. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, one of my favourite reasons to go to the States.
2: So that's almost been 10 years of going to this same conference every year.
0: Yeah, so, I, um, yeah, so I've had some fun times there. I did, a, uh, I did an opening keynote in Miami um, after travelling for you know, 30, 35 hours to get to Miami <laughs> and um, 24 hours before the, the, the conference started and I was meant to do the opening keynote with Christine I completely lost my voice.
2: Oh, no. Lost my voice. So I did... <laughs> that happened to me at a meet-up one year. It's yeah, shocking.
0: So I, so I did uh, 24 hours networking with an iPad and just writing. People thought I was doing a bit and I was like, I had no voice. So I rewrote my whole opening keynote and... Um, And I said, look, I'll do it pen and Teller style. And so I just had slides that would guide Christine through. And I said, sorry, you know, I said, sorry, I can't speak. I I sound like this guy and had a picture of Hugh Jackman. (laughs) And I'd set up a few gags where I said, let's check the live Twitter feed. And Todd made a mate of mine, I'd teed him up to do a tweet. And he said, gee, Sean Cullinan's killing it. He should speak less in his conferences. (laughs) And then I had the next slide. I said, thanks, Todd. You never know what you'll get in a live Twitter feed. And it was funny because it was all staged. But everyone's like, how did you integrate the Twitter feed to your, to your keynote? And I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> so and it was funny because at the end, like just before the before the st- stood on stage, my voice started coming back. But I said, there's no way it's going to hold up for 45 minutes. And at the end, um, Tinnis uh, from Fan Cam, Tinnis um was taking a 360-degree shot of the whole thing. And so I teed it up I said, here's tennis. he's South African, he's got a weird accent as well. And then he goes, it's going to take us two minutes. I'm like, I haven't got any slides for two minutes of you taking a photo. <laughs> and so he starts taking the photo and it's, you know, it's one of those 360, you can zoom in and out. And he starts taking the photo and I just get the mic and say, come on everybody, this is going to be on the internet, smile. And so half the faces are people just with their jaws on the floor like, hang on, have you punked us the whole time? And <laughs> spoke. So it was quite funny, my you know voice came back and, you know, and then I did a, I did a, panel at that one with richard clark from arsenal um, oscar from real madrid and kevin cote from the warriors who had all been on the podcast and it was really good you know backwards and backwards and forwards. so yeah see it's always been um fun times mm-hmm. and always good to catch up with you am I, am I correct
2: in thinking you've done some stand-up comedy in the past
0: yes i did i um um so a lot of the you know a lot of the uh success of that that uh no, no, no voice keynote was me doing improv. I'd done improv before. And yep. So I'd been able to think on my feet and come up with stuff. And so a lot of what I do is, is mm. its probably a skill, but it's also a, I rely on, it, rely on it too much. Mm. Um, when, when did you learn improv? Um, so I, probably early when I was doing Sports geeks, sort of doing different things. So, um, yeah, it was like 20, 2009, 2011. I was doing different classes.
2: Did just... For the hell of it, or just
0: yeah, I mean, just for doing, trying to do different things and getting mm. out of my getting out of my head. And um, so Melbourne and Pro do some really good intro courses on um, spontaneity and building up narrative and supporting your partner and stuff like that. It was quite funny. Um, uh, Heretier, it was Harry at the time, Heretier Limumba was a Collingwood um, Collingwood player, and he was sort of you know one of those early social media pioneers of being really early. And so mm. I'd sort of reached out to him and said, "Hey mate, you should do this and not do this." And he said, "No worries." And then I said, "Oh, sorry, man, I've got to go." Like, I was having a coffee. I've got to go. I've got to go to Impro. And, and he's a bit the same of really um, open and looking to explore. And so, yeah, met the next term he did he did a spontaneity course with with <laughs> us, and we're like Channel Seven came in and we're playing Scarecrow Tiggy on, on Channel 7 <laughs> and half Time. So, so that was a good sort of you know, if you don't know, you know, if you're not good at thinking on your feet and um, you know handling questions, like, like I can't recommend doing improv course enough. Like mm. it's really good at you know, getting out of your head and, you know, someone throws a word at you, you've just got to come back. And once you let go, like they have this idea of happy fail. So mm-hmm. it's a really good thing in life. Just do it and you learn from it and you don't, you know, beat yourself up over it. Mm. Um, so I'd done that, but I wanted to sort of push myself a little bit more. Um, and so I did this course with the School of Hard Knock Knocks, um, which is really, again, really good, a five-day course. You sort of turn up on the Monday and Thursday uh, so, of course, you turn up on the Monday and the Thursday you're doing a live gig. Wow, eh? <laughs> um And so I, again, just did it for, hey, I'm going to do it for fun. Um, and my first, and it was lucky enough to have Richard Stubbs, a local you know, comedic legend here in Melbourne, um, was like our guest lecturer. And I just got up and did, it was like you're meant to, um, oh, you went to do like two, two or three minutes uh, of material and sort of prep it. And I'd actually been at a funeral that day, right? So I've come from a funeral <laughs> um, of my great auntie, auntie Kath, and then go there and like, oh, I haven't got a bit. And so I just went into my, I'll just, I'll just fly, I'll just make it up. And so I did this story and sort of weaved and went. And I got off and and Stubsy goes, it was good. You you know, you can see you could do an after dinner speech and sort of hold. He goes, but stand up needs a joke every thirteen to fifty to thirty seconds. So mm. it's got to be bang, bang, bang. And so you know, the five minutes that I end up doing um, and then I think I end up doing, yes, seven minutes at an international comedy festival show here in Melbourne, like, it really forced me to write more and be more considered um, to do all of those, to, to, to put it together. So um, it does help me because effectively when I'm doing keynote speaking, effectively you're doing bits on each slide. Mm. Like, how do you make this memorable whether you're throwing in a joke or the anecdote and how you're doing it and so it did help that to tighten up that presentation those presentation skills um and to go or well, how do I you know phrase that to to get a, potentially to get a laugh mm. um so yeah so it was something that I was always interested in it was a bit of the bravado I've seen people do it on telling oh, I, could do, I could do that <laughs> and you know we've been lucky enough to have um Will Anderson on Beers Bloke's business and you know he reached out and I said, can you come on? And he he took us through the business, like the business of comedy, which I find fascinating of, you know, booking out venues and how they've got to, you know, um, protect their content but then also put their content out everywhere Mm. and and building, um, um, you know, building a a fan base and a lot of it, you know, I use some of the stuff that uh, Will talks about and we had uh, Will at a Twitter brekkie, we ran some, Twitter brekkies for Twitter when that before they came to Australia and we sort of just invited everybody and we got and Will was one of the people on stage and he he said look it doesn't matter if I've got 250,000 Twitter followers I just need 50,000 of them to come to one show a year for 50 bucks mm. right and I said that's that's pretty much everyone should be everyone's strategy you know Colin mm. can have a million fans but they can have but they want a hundred thousand to be members but they want them to turn up and so it's like how can digital drive that um, mm. So that's sort of yeah, that's my comedy story.
2: But yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, that is amazing. Do uh, do people know that about you, F- like far and wide? The comedy part is that something that you have in your LinkedIn profile, like performer at the International Melbourne Comedy Festival. I yeah,
0: I think oh yeah, I do. I've sort of promoted <laughs> it uh, when it came out, and again, like I'm always looking at the business of the mm. of filling the seats, of filling the sta- uh, stadium. So like you know, we talk about the cheeks and the seats, and so Maury who runs the school of Hard Knock Knocks. Like it's a pretty good system because you're running you, you run the course and then the, the members of the course have drag in the folks so it's like oh you invite all your mates to go see you either do well or bomb but they're pretty much supportive so mm. it's a pretty good program and he's like, he used to like me because I used to I've got a lot of uh, cousins and friends and like I'd always drag people in because I'm a better marketer than I am mm. a comedian yeah um, and so I always look at the you know the business of comedy um, and you know Melbourne International Comedy Festival is amazing but then you also see. Um, you know, comedians hand out flyers. I'm like, guys, it's 2023, mm. right? And then you're seeing, <laughs> um, you know, some comedians absolutely take off because they're killing a particular channel, whether it's, mm. you know, now it's TikTok, you know, with Matt Reif, you can't go anywhere without seeing him. He's, you know, he sells a tour out like that. Um, you know, Alex Williamson did the same with his loose Aussie bloke stuff. Mm. And, you know, people would follow him from Instagram. He would just drop a link. And so it's like, how do you, you know, it's exactly the same Game plan that sports do to say, "Hey, I'm teasing you with all this content. Hey, buy our league pass, or become a member, or get a ticket." So, mm. I yeah, I I spend a lot of time looking at other industries to say, you know, because I can learn a lot by you know what are the Boston Celtics and Real Madrids and Arsenal doing, but then also, you know, what is Taylor Swift doing and how is she pushing you know the boundaries everything? Um, and everything, and then what can you bring back and bring it back for, for you and your audience.
2: What you said about Will Anderson mentioning I only need 50 people to buy, you know, these 50 lost seats reminded me of um, Kevin Kelly's blog, A Thousand yep. True Fans, and what you're talking about with digital has the potential for anyone with, you know, even 10,000 following to make a living off that because as the blog talks about, it's 100 people paying 100 bucks a year, it's, it's 100 grand. You can live off that, and what you're doing kind of helps a lot of people follow that. Yeah, and that's
0: mm. the that's the bit that sort of getting down to how hey, you're producing this content, but who you're producing it for? Because if you're always trying to produce the content for everyone, right? The 7-year-old, 8-year-old, 14-year-old fan is very different from the 45, 55-year-old fan. And so if you're trying to get it to everybody, which I think is the main, you know, issue, it's like, you know, every, having every bit of content be for everybody it's the quickest way to mediocrity. Whereas mm. if you say, hey, we're gonna do this stuff that's you know, younger and memeier and, and a bit quirky, that can live on those platforms like TikTok, knowing that the over 40s aren't on that platform, and so that's gonna go more viral and better connect. Um, and so it's a, bit of, it's a bit of understanding, and even if not platforms, just, oh, we're gonna put this out, why are we putting that out? Oh, that, because there's an older demographic that wants all the details of what the day is, and so it goes on that platform the people who don't want it won't engage with it the algorithm will sort it out for us but you've got to sort of got to understand that you're ticking those boxes and sort of the why and knowing that that one's not going to go have great analytics and stuff but you, you know it's a hygiene thing and you want to make sure that it's easy for those fans to to get to it and so mm-hmm. it's a of training your fans to to consume the right things but I think there's a lot of value in you know doing that content specifically for that or, you know, that specific audience or that audience demographic.
2: I'm loving the the rabbit hole we've found ourselves in, but I want to come back to the podcast and yep. find out, how'd you get Mark Cuban on your show?
0: Um, so one of the earliest things I did when I started Sports Geek, even pre-clients, I said, look, I'm going to go on a study trip. Um, and so one, it's a great tax write-off, you call it a study <laughs> trip. Um, and so I went effectively like a secret shopper mission to, to go and check out what's happening because, you know, you can consume what they're doing from a digital point of view but I think what the US do really well is their activations and what they do in stadiums and those kind of things. So I said, I want to do that and I went LA, Dallas and, and New York and, um, and so I was, you know, hoping to – and I sort of said, hey, I'm doing this stay trip, I'm a sports geek, I want to meet up with Mark Cuban when I'm in Dallas and so I'd done a bit of scouring. It's not hard, you can find Mark Cuban's email address eventually – um, it's cause it's out on the internet. And, and so I emailed him and said, Hey, I'd love to meet with you. Like I, I wasn't even doing a podcast at that stage just to talk to you about what I'm doing. And, and, and he said, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I don't have time during the season. I said, that's pretty cool. You know, I don't normally get a reply from a billionaire. Mm. Um, but the funny thing was I was in, uh, and I hadn't made the network that I had, that I've got now. So I didn't know a lot of people. I was early on, I was early on LinkedIn. So my IT career sort of set me up to know what LinkedIn can offer before anyone else to do it because like it was like, oh, LinkedIn, that's where you go to when you've lost your job and you go in and tell everyone you've lost a job. That's pretty much what everyone was doing. And, mm. and so five or six years earlier, I was running a um, department, like I said, AGL of 80 people and we're going through the really ugly part of getting outsourced. So everyone eventually is going to lose their jobs, which is ugly. And so there's some people waiting for, to get their payout and other people are like, eh. And so I went around to that. My whole department said, everyone get on LinkedIn. They're like, why? I said, well, if you're all connected now, we don't know where we are in three years time, Mm. and you'll be able to refer people, you'll all be in different parts of the industry, you'll be really good. And so I said, you know, you shouldn't have to have a resume. You can just point people, look at all this and who we have got. So I'd done a lot of that work in my IT job. And so it worked quite well when I went to the States and sort of said, hey, this is me, I'm doing this. And... The U.S. folk are probably more open to networking than, than Australians at that point. It's probably evening up now. So I was at Dodger Stadium for a uh, for a baseball game, you know, posting, tweeting out, you know, putting somatic filters on back when you, know, when you had to do that and they weren't available in Instagram. And I re- and I got a random reply from Jill Dot. She said, oh, I should, you know, you should um, come back for a game because I was just doing a, a stadium tour. I said, oh, I'd love to. And so we were chatting and I'd never met her before. Um... And so we were chatting and then we realised we're both going to be in Dallas at the same time. And then part of my also st- strategy to get to Dallas was go to a Mavs game. So there was a Mavs-Lakers game there. And, um, and it also connected with the CEO of the, of the Mavs Stadium, American Airlines Centre, uh, Brad Main. And so I've got my tickets, I'm sitting I don't know, 15 rows behind the Mavs bench, um, you know, I'm still being bold. I'm like, hey, Mark, are you in this room? I'm going to be sitting. If you want to come and say hello, I'm more than happy to. Um, and Jill's like, oh, Jill was at the game. She goes, I'm going to be at the game as well. I said, how awesome is this? I hadn't met her three days earlier. And so halfway through the second quarter, I get a tap on the shoulder and Brad, and there's Brad Mayne, the CEO of the arena. He goes, hey, Sean, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. He said, you want to come up to the suite? I said, awesome. Well, I was already chatting to the guy next to me. He goes, you've got to go. They're going to have food. Up there. <laughs> awesome. Um, and so... Again, just by tweeting and, met, you know, so I got taken up into the suite and, and he's, like, he's introduced me and he's introduced me, all these people in the stadium space, and he goes, oh, by the way, this is Jill. So Jill was in the box with Brad. They did not know that I was talking to both of them. <laughs> and she's like, yeah you, should, yeah, you should talk to Sean. So, um, yeah, so I got to see Dirk Whiskey's, I think, 25,000 point, I think, at that point, at the night. You know, Brad goes, oh, we've got a bucket of Fosters here for you. I said, Brad, I'll be very polite, I'll drink them all, but Australians don't drink Fosters, <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah, so I met up with, with Brad, came back the next night for, and he gave me a tour during the Stars game and, you know, there was a goal while I was in the booth and he let me press the button for the hooter, for the for the siren, for the... Uh, That's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was literally just, um, yeah, hustling, you know, reaching out on LinkedIn, you know, tweeting people, Again, while they were still active in that space, I don't know if I'd be able to. I don't know if I'd be able to do it now, um, but it was just amazing. The you know, tweeting with Joel two days earlier, and then me tweeting Brad, and then them making the connection, and then she's saying, "Oh no, get Sean up here. He's doing this tour," and so it's like all of those things didn't didn't happen. So that was the precursor, and then so it's a long way to get to the Mark Cuban story, and then so then I started doing the podcast and. I, like I still had his email, and so I'd done about sixty episodes, and so I'd had Arsenal and that on, and he was out there promoting Cyberdust. You ever heard of Cyberdust? No, never. Yeah, so it's nowhere anywhere now. But it was effectively his, because um, there was this whole problem of messages and people saving messages and security, and so Cyberdust was effectively disappearing messages. Mm. Right? So you send a message, it's gone, and so he was plugging it as, as a way for you know protect athletes and how athletes can go and so I saw that he was so I, I got on the. I always get on new tools quickly just to test them out is it worthwhile you know I'm looking at should I be telling it you know one of my teams to get on this new platform um, and so he's there plugging it and so I went on Cyberdust and saw him active and so I've messaged him and said hey Mark I'd love to talk about Cyberdust and how sports can use it um, and athletes can use it um, and, he, and he replies back and and so then I'm like, oh, I've, you know, I've nearly got him. Um, and I said, I'd love to have you on the podcast. Um, I've had, and I've just listed, you know, Arsenal and a few of the bigger names, bigger team names that have been on and him to it. And then I um, went on Twitter and I queued up a bunch of my mates to say, you know, hey, should we get Mark, you know, get about to get him in there? And before I'd even deployed everyone to say, hey, Mark, you should do the podcast, he replied back to you, no problems when you want to do it. And so I'm like, awesome. And Amazing. so... Um, and then yeah, and then it was Scott Kilmartin. He said oh, "That's really great." He goes, "What happens if your Skype fails?" I said, "Thanks, I said, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Scott. Like that's you know that's <laughs> what you want. No, not a pat on the back." And so I ended up um, pulling in some favours, and I did it out of the ABC Grandstand Studio. And so it was quite
2: just to make sure everything went. Just perfectly. to make sure everything
0: <laughs> went, per- but it was quite interesting because it was you could sort of if you li- I've listened to it a couple of times, but early on he just he just thought he was going to get some softball like talk about stuff, and I just went no, I'm in now and I'm just going to keep throwing punches. Mm. And so, like I was talking to him about a lot of the US folks are now um, not calling it season ticket members and talking membership, right, which is really strong concept here in Australia, especially mm. here in Melbourne. Um, and I sort of asked him about that. I said, what do you think about, you know, calling them members, making them feel like they're members of the club? And so he was, like, liking the idea and, you know, we talked about the NBA, you know, playing games in China and those kind of things, so... Yeah, we sort of just went – I just went, oh, I'm here now. I've got you for 40 minutes. If you're having fun, I'm having fun. Um, so, yeah, so it was an absolute blast. Like, and, you know, he gave as good as he got. Um, and so, yeah, it was really good. I, You know, I joked – I still joke, you know, Mark Cuban's a sports geek like me. He's just got more money. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a
2: lot of fun. Amazing. Um, one of the things I really admire about your your journey, particularly from the sports geek point onwards, is how – It seems as though you guys have been global since day one, you know. You're in Australia, but you're dealing with clients right around the world. And that's led you to now working with the NFL and some of their expansion into Australia. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing with them?
0: Yeah, um, I think the thing is, you know, for me, like pre-COVID, I was actually planning like a West Coast US trip to do some workshops. Um, And I'd been lucky enough to do some, you know, work with different US teams, did suffered the Timberwolves. Like I said, I did some stuff with the Washington NFL team when they were called another thing. Um, and so I got a call um, from a podcast guest, um, Andrew, Andrew Collins, who ran Mailman out of China. Um, and so they do a lot of work in helping sports get into other markets. So they do a lot of work in China in doing lo- localised content. And so he called and said, one, do you have capacity? And I always answer yes to that. And he said, "Oh, we need we need some representation for the NFL uh, in Australia because um, they were they were getting um, some of the other markets as the NFL were ramping up." I said, "You yeah, know, no problems." Um, and so we effectively three or two. It's our third season now. So a week before the season, I said, "Here's the handles, here's the Twitter handle, and here's the here's the Instagram handle, um, and here's all the tools." And so. The cool thing was um, we get to use, like, one, we're the league. So normally when you're in a team world and, you know, what are the restrictions? What can you use? and What can't you use? and What can you do? And so I was like, like, so we're the league, yeah? So we can do whatever we want, yeah? And pretty much it was, yeah. So I was reporting into the the international office in LA and it was like the main remit was grow the audience and get people to watch it, you know, on a Monday. Um, And so we were lucky enough that I was familiar with – like WSC, um, so they've got a really great clipping tool. Um, and so I had Aviv on my podcast when he was in Melbourne. And so for those who don't know, Clip Pro um, is a, you know, WSC is a, is an uh, Israeli startup that uses machine learning and AI and all the stats to be able to automatically create a highlight from from vision mm. from the TV and
2: mm. so we had them at Cricket Australia and I heard they had taken like the technology out of like military equipment it's yeah, like yeah so mm. that
0: yeah so they're from yeah they come from a military background um yeah and so when I interviewed Aviv they were trying to figure out how to what were the rules for cricket mm. right um, <laughs> and so they'd had early success with the NBA um and so it does things like it has the stats feed coming in so it knows when a touchdown happens or knows when a run out happens or knows when a three-point happens but then they also gauge the uh, commentary and, like, the volume of the commentary in the crowd to come up with a rating for the for the clip. And then it's also how do they um, trim the clip appropriately. So it's like, you know, for a um, for a touchdown, you want to get the touchdown, but you also want to get to the celebration. Or, you know, Seth Curry, it's a three. The video's no good if you don't see him do the shimmy or something afterwards. So they tweak that. So, oh, and so we can, you know, we can use all that? And they go, yeah, and so... Me, you know, I just went back into geek mode and go, I'm just going to automate the hell out of this. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so I went, if an Australian does anything, like I don't need to write, if Australia Australian does anything, I just want a clip of that and it automatically gets into our Slack and so we can quickly get it up. Um, and It's already got the brand on it and all those kind of things. And so we're able to do that as well as the hygiene stuff, which is, hey, this is when the games are on. This is These are the games you can tune in on 7. Um, and so that was really welcomed by the audience were like I, I never know oh, we're on this week or I don't have ESPN so I can watch it or oh, I didn't realise I can get game pass those kind of things so we yeah, we did a lot of that um, it's a it's a unique challenge sort of doing the content in an English speaking you know um, country um, because you know my the agencies that are working in France and Mexico and um, um, in Germany a lot of their stuff is oh we're translating this and we're taking what the NFL team is doing and putting translation, not to diminish what they're doing, they're doing killer jobs. But if you're an NFL fan in Australia, you probably don't know about the NFL, AUNZ accounts, right? Because you're following NFL and mm. you're following OBJ and you're following all the ESPN accounts. And so you could probably get your fill. And so it's like what we had to do is sort of do digital $2 over it and say, what do we want to get? And I'm like, well, I know what uh, you know, the diehard Avid fans are that get up at 3 a.m. in the morning to watch the NFL. Like we know who they are. And what they like, but what we want to do is, how do we get the the people who just start tuning in after Christmas, that start tuning in when the playoffs are heating up? How do we connect with them? Um, how do we get someone that's going to get up to watch Boxing Day, to get up a little bit earlier and watch some games? Mm. Those kind of things. So we sort of had to keep that. And then, how do we have you know, how do we have an Aussie angle? How do we get that? Um, you know, there's likely enough. There's a couple of there's a bunch of punters that are in the in the league, and so anytime there's that, you know, they love getting around them. Um, and then we've got stars like you know George playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, who is very charismatic and you know so much so talented. Like he's been on uh, the Masked Singer, and he's now got his second Christmas album out. So um, so yeah, so leveraging that content's been uh, been fun. Um, now there's you know uh, now Charlotte is here as a GM of Australia New Zealand, so. Effectively, I've, you know, I like to think that we helped in proving the case of Australia is a you know, really worthwhile market for the, for the NFL, um, you know, because we're still great partners in you know, Channel 7 are showing it all and ESPN are showing it all. so um, And, yeah, the amount of people that one either get into it right away or, you know, the footy AFL-NRL stops and then they lean in a bit further, like, what do I get? And so it's a really easy sport to consume because you can sort of dedicate your monday mm. like i love my nba but it's every single day you know <laughs> um, whereas nfl you can sort of go oh getting in my monday figure out who's won, and then sort of it frees up your week a little bit so it's growing every year
2: it's amazing here in the journey that you've been on i'm guessing when you were thinking about quitting your developer training job you know 13 years ago you, you know, might not have imagined working with the nfl today which um, i believe is a most lucrative sport in the world in terms of dollars per match played. I think there's Is a it?
0: lot of money yeah. uh, in the NFL. Like their mm. TV deals, this you know the scale um, mm. of of the business overall. Um, like I was lucky enough to go to the NFL draft uh, this year in wow. in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and just for context, it's a Thursday night prime time, um, going up against NBA playoffs, and the NFL draft blitzed it. Jeez, and and there was a hundred thousand people there, over the over the um, every day for three days. So three hundred thousand people were there, which is effectively a job fair, like mm. finding someone <laughs> to get a job, um, and celebrating that. But again, not you know no sport does it as big as as the NFL, and it was really great sort of connecting with um, the social team, um, uh, you know. Uh, Josh, who was at the Dodgers, and he was—I he, he, did a podcast with him at the SCG when the N- MLB came out, um, and now, and he was working with the with the NFL social team. So looking at what they were doing with the with the draft picks, and mm. and then doing some interviews with draft picks, and interviewing the you know the crazy fans that turn up, um, the spectacle and everything around it, um, yeah, it's amazing. Like the scale is just uh, something that's hard for people as Australian to understand. Um, but it's also, you know, a real big opportunity that it's gonna keep keep growing and the fact that the NFL has sort of shoehorned their way into the Olympics in twenty twenty eight with flag football, um, it could be like their dream team moment. If they really do go, Yeah, we're gonna let Patrick Mahomes play flag football in the Olympics, mm. which it makes sense that they would do it. Um it it might really explode the sport in all parts of the world.
2: Incredible. I've I've got one more question for you before we wrap up. And um with all the challenges that come with running your own business, you um you mentioned uh, your interest in the the book Shoe Dog at the top of the episode and how you've listened to it a number of times. Is there anything in particular that you resonate most with in that book, or that gives you inspiration that just you know keeps you going a bit longer through all the hurdles that come with you know running a business?
0: Um, I think it's the I think it's the resilience i think if i mention the other book that i would mention is angela duckworth's book grit um and it's you know it's all about resilience and pushing through and you know what is grit and how do you get it is it earned or um and i sort of learnt an early in early part of sports geek it was just like just keep going um and sort of staying the course and Having you know, ha- luckily enough, having some wins, whether it's you know getting a you know Collingwood and a Manly and and the Rabbitohs on board as a sort of Adelaide Crows as early clients um, to you know speaking and those things, and again the early podcast, like you said, the stats, you know, most people don't get past ten, and so it's like, oh, well, let's just get past ten, and then to have some of those anecdotes, like podcast is a is a is a strange medium. I mean, I know you're sort of doing the video, but a lot of people are assuming it audio, and so they're either now out on a run in the gym or on the treadmill or, you know, maybe they're on their commute and so they're not overly active as, hey, I'm going to respond. So if you haven't, uh, you know, send Ruben and Ryan (laughs) a message that you listen to the podcast um, because it's always good to get those messages and that that feedback. I mean, you've got your your download stats and things like that, but it is good to get that feedback to sort of know that that people are there. Um, So for me... Yeah, uh, grit is yeah, one of the things that um, yeah keeps me keeps me going and is why I'm still in business, I guess.
2: Amazing. Well, it's been incredible learning about your journey over 13 plus years and and um, I know your podcast has been a great inspiration to myself. And even when I was getting started as a digital commercial specialist at Cricket Australia, listening to some of the interviews just helped me upskill and you know and communicate and understand that language that you talk about as well. So. Thank you for coming on and sharing your journey and thank you for the service that you're doing to the sports industry as well and trying to help everyone build that digital maturity. It's been um, awesome to chat all things digital and commercial with you.
0: No problems and yeah, it won't stop here because will, this will be a crossover episode. No, we haven't <laughs> figured out the planning but uh, we are going to have a chat and, and I'm going we're going to reverse the roles and have a chat with you. So hopefully uh, everyone who's listened to this will go over to the Sports Geek feed and listen to the other side of the conversation.
2: Wonderful. Thanks, Sean.
1: Guys, it's time now for the people segment of the podcast, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question, well, become a member tomorrow. You can join and ask us any questions, we'll answer them on the podcast, and also our friends in our community as well. Rubes, this one comes from a couple of members actually, because they've been going for some interviews lately, so we're going to put an interview theme on this one. Um, And the question is, do you have any advice on how to best prepare for an interview? Should I try and reach out to someone in a similar position and be asking for help on my interview?
2: Okay, awesome, awesome. Uh, Great question. Uh, Kind of two parts to that question. So let's tackle the second one first in terms of should I reach out to someone in a similar position and, and ask for help? Yes, absolutely. Because if someone's been through the interview process at the organization you're applying for before then they might be able to share with you what are the questions that they asked you, who was in the room, you might be able to look them up on LinkedIn in advance and um, get some information before you walk into the room, which always helps you feel a lot more confident and helps you prepare what to to say as well. For example, when I applied for my job at Cricket Australia, I had a pre-existing relationship with a guy called Joel Morrison, before I went to my interview, I called up Joel. He spent 45 minutes on the phone with me, and he said, Ruben, you need to prepare for these things, and that led me to ultimately being successful in the interview. So yes, definitely reach out and ask for help where you can. In terms of best advice to prepare for an interview, well, there's, there's kind of two things to understand when you're preparing for an interview, and that is, you know, one, what is the organization looking for? So what, what things do you really need to hit on the head to make sure that you are satisfying their needs? And then secondly, how do you say that in the most compelling way? So let's start with the first one. How do you make sure you're answering all the things that you know address their needs? First, it comes from a deep understanding of the organization, who they are, what their goals are. So a lot of that information will be on the job description. And um, one thing you wanna do is go through and dissect the job description. So you wanna pull it apart and find out what are the top skill car- skill pr- skill priorities that this job is looking for, and the top character priorities that this job is looking for, and literally rank them one to five, or however many come up. So then you can start to think about, all right, if the number one skill priority for this job is communication, then then you can start to think about what are my top communication examples? And that leads me to part two, which is, how do you say we need to say in the most compelling way? Now, this is where you can introduce frameworks to how you give your interview answer. And a very, very easy one to use is the STAR framework. So that stands for Situation, Task, Action, Result. So for example, if you had an example where you've used strong communication uh, in the past, you would then run it through the STAR formula and to give your answer. So let's say, um, you use strong communication when you're working in a team. And uh, so for for me, I might use it, if I was applying for my job at Cricket Australia and uh, the topic of communication came up, um, I might say that um, in my, let's start with the situation, in my role as president of the Deakin University Sport Society, uh, it was my task to lead a team and grow the membership of this organisation to help our peers get jobs in the sports industry. So the action related to communication would might be something like as a part of this it was my responsibility to make sure that everyone on the committee understand what we were working towards and what they needed to do each week, each month or before each event. So then you could go into, sorry that's the task, then you go into the action. What did you do? So to make sure everyone was clearly across what we need to do and I communicated that to them, I would make sure that I would prepare in advance. What are we working on? What are the key things that people need to understand? And then I will deliver it to them in our meeting. And then I might follow up with an email just in case anybody forgot to say, hey, here are the top three things that we're working on this week. And then you go into the results part, which is as a result, the team clearly understood their tasks and that we needed to do. Everyone was able to to do it and which led us to running a smooth event for 50 people which generated, you know, $1,000 of income for the club. Something like that. So first, understand the needs of the organisation and then find your best example
1: and turn it into a star, result, star response. Love that. I think with, with this as well, at, at the end of the day, it just requires time and a, a little bit of effort to put these examples together. You know, you could go into it and, and wing it and, and have a crack at that. But if you put in some time to really identify some careers that you've done certain things and you've got these stories lined up around what you've done, it's going to it's gonna save you so much time. So, like, yes, it's like a little bit of a process. It's hardly a process. It's pretty simple. But if you put in that time, you've got these examples for the rest of your time. So just get to work and understand yourself. I think that's the the biggest thing. Um, and an, an example for me as well, Rubes, like when I went for my um, partnership's secondment when I was at Cricket Australia, I got in touch with one of the account managers, Lena Starapoli, podcast royalty, previous guest. Um, Episode 24. And, yeah, and, and picked her brain on, on what the role is, what it's about, what they're looking for, what the hardest parts of the, the job are, like what it looks like. And I think that really helped me understand the role a bit better. So if you've got those connections and you're able to speak to people inside, it just it cuts that process in half of actually understanding the role. So I'd absolutely try and reach out to people uh, before you go for a, for a role. Wonderful. Brilliant. Great question. Um, well, if you'd like to ask us a question, as I said at, the, at just now, sign up and become a member tomorrow. Our next intake is open at 9 a.m. So we said crack of dawn. It kind of is the crack of dawn, but 9 a.m., So do not miss your chances, limited positions. Otherwise, you'll miss out until late Feb in 2024. So don't start your year in late Feb. Start it on January 1st or on November 28th. In the meantime, find us on LinkedIn. And if you know anyone who would enjoy the show, please send it on to them and give us some love with a rating if you enjoy the show. Subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
2: Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the Sports Grad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.